Welcome to Oncopharm. I am your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, uh, East Tennessee State University's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. Today, we're going to go over some recent updates. We're going to talk mostly about neoadjuvant chemotherapy updates. You know, neoadjuvant chemotherapy is chemotherapy given prior to surgery. Uh, and in general, to, to try and keep it simple, there are a couple reasons to pursue neoadjuvant chemotherapy instead of adjuvant chemotherapy, where you just give the chemo after surgery. So one would be uh, the, uh, the tumor or the disease is not surgically resectable or it's not easily surgical resectable. So you give some chemotherapy first, shrink the tumor, maybe the tumor instead of wrapping around a major blood vessel shrinks enough that it could be uh, resected or it's easier to be resected or it's a, a more minimally invasive resection, okay? That's, that's one reason. Another could be uh, that the disease is very aggressive and you don't want to delay uh, treatment um, for surgery, which can take some planning and things like that. One of the downsides to neoadjuvant chemotherapy in uh, potentially is that you could delay surgery, right? So, um, you know, we've seen patients who died from neoadjuvant surgery or from neoadjuvant chemo from, from neutropenic complications or uh, I saw a patient one time die from, um, from kidney failure with cisplatin in the neoadjuvant setting who could have been cured with surgery. Uh, now the neoadjuvant chemo is there to improve the cure rates, but surgery was the most important thing uh, for solid tumors. So those are some reasons to, to broadly think about uh, neoadjuvant chemo. So we have a couple updates to talk about. One we've mentioned before, that's the VESPER study in bladder cancer, which was just published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. So, so VESPER, first of all, VESPER uh, is a James Bond drink. I didn't know this. Um, so VESPER apparently is described in one of the early James Bond uh, books written by Ian Fleming, and it's uh, three parts of gin to one part vodka to half part Lillet Blanc aperitif. I don't know. With a lemon twist. Sounds good. Maybe try one this weekend. Anyway, uh, this was presented at, uh, I think, ESMO. So we've talked about this, and our favorite guidelines have now uh, changed their recommendations based on this study. So a brief review. So muscle invasive bladder cancer, the, the standard treatment of choice was cisplatin-based chemotherapy followed by cystectomy, or removal of uh, the bladder surgically. So this was a study of uh, 245 patients per arm, so close to about almost, just under 500 patients total randomized one-to-one -to, -one to perioperative, so that could be neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemo, of cisplatin, gemcitabine, or dose-dense MBAC, which is methotrexate, venblastine, doxorubicin, and cisplatin. Uh, now, it was perioperative, but like 90% of patients got neoadjuvant chemo in both arms. Um, historically, folks have done neoadjuvant cisgem um, prior to, to cystectomy, based on extrapolation from data in the metastatic setting showing that GEMSYS was as good as, as MVAC, but better tolerated. We haven't actually had to study in the curative setting until VESPER. And I present, you know, we, this, I've talked about this before on the podcast. This was a positive study. The, the um, uh, what was the, the end point here? Was it progression-free survival? I think it was progression-free survival. The progression-free survival uh, was better in those who received new adjuvant treatment uh, compared to those, uh, received new adjuvant uh, dose-dense MVAC compared to those who received uh, GEMSYS. But there are some little things in this publication to, to point out. Um, the, the most promising of which is they do give us an interim overall survival numbers, not analysis. They say that they're going to wait for five years is their protocol to do a, a landmark five-year OS. But if, 
at current follow-up, which is a median follow-up time of 40 months. So half these folks have been followed for more than three and a half years, okay, or almost, you know, 40 months. So, so pretty decent follow-up here for, uh, you know, for, for muscle invasive bladder cancer. Uh, so the hazard ratio here is 0.75 for overall survival, favoring dose dis and back that. 95% confidence intervals 0.47 to 0.92. And the reason, you know, that's certainly in favor of dose dis and back from overall survival, uh, but I'll also point out that hazard ratio of 0.74 is in line with the hazard ratio of progression-free survival of 0.7. So certainly seems to confirm what you would think from the event-free survival or the progression-free survival that dose-dens-and-back, again, should be our standard of care in the, in the neoadjuvant setting for bladder cancer. Some other useful stuff in here when you're considering tolerability and feasibility of doing neoadjuvant chemo in these folks. These are usually older folks, usually older men. Um, and so we're talking dose dens and back is not an easy regimen to give. So we'll, you know, what I always advocate, do it the way they did it in the study. And the way they did it in the study, uh, eligibility uh, included, um, the biggest one would be, uh, that would probably be a hiccup for folks, was creatinine clearance. Uh, you'd have a creatinine clearance of 50 for entry. So you'd have a creatinine clearance of, of 60, which could be reduced for some folks. And that could still be eligible for dose dens and back or gymsis in the study. Now, they did actually dose-reduce cisplatin based on creatinine clearance. So a creatinine clearance above 60, you would get full-dose cisplatin, which was 70 milligrams per meter squared. Uh, creatinine clearance between 50 and 59, you get 50 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin. Uh, between 40 and 49, 35 or half-dose of cisplatin. But then the below 40, uh, they, there was no chemotherapy given. Um, the the, uh, the regimen here, by the way, if you're not familiar with dose and back is... You know, every 14 days you're getting uh, methotrexate 30 per meter squared, 30 milligrams per meter squared. Uh, that's on day one. And then day two, you get the other things. You get venblastine 3 milligrams per meter squared on day two, doxorubicin 30 milligrams per meter squared on day two, and cisplatin 70 milligrams per meter squared on day two, and then filgrastim uh, 5 mics per kilo on days three to nine. So you can see that this is. This is a, you know, not maybe an easy regimen to give, and some folks uh, in, in clinics here in the States may give their methotrexate everything on day one. The way they did in the study is methotrexate day one and then the VAC on days, uh, days two. They also provide their, um, their supportive care protocols as far as antiemetics and hydration. And, and in this study, they're doing three liters of, uh, of um, normal saline for the 24 hours prior to cisplatin and then three liters the day after cisplatin over 24 hours. Um, and you might say, well, who's gonna be doing three liters? You know, we're not gonna admit these people for this. Well, if we're doing continuous infusion of the most dangerous vesicant in modern oncology and docs groups and an EPOC regimens as an outpatient, we can probably set up continuous infusions of cisplatin uh, to, to help improve our cure rates for, uh, for muscle invasive bladder cancer. Uh, by the way, those, uh, the dosing schedule, the supportive care, the dose adjustments for cisplatin, all of that is in the supplement um, that they provide in JCO along with the VESPER study. Um, I, I'll also point out here that as far as grade 3 toxicities in this, um, they were similar, 52% in dose-dens-embac versus 55% in the gymsis arm. There was more severe anemia with, with the dose-dens-embac and asthenia, uh, which is like severe fatigue, 14% with dose-dens-embac compared to 4.1 for gymsis. Uh, and you, so it, yeah, it makes sense. This is a harder to tolerate regimen. Dose Zimvac is six cycles um, compared to, um, 
to four cycles of gem cis. So you're getting, you're giving quite a bit more cisplatin here, which is probably why it would be better. You're giving more cisplatin, which is probably the most active drug that we, that we're given here. So in the dose dense MVAC, you're getting 420 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin. In gem cis, you're getting 280 milligrams per meter squared. So maybe it's the regimen, but it also is probably the dose dense nature and the ability to give more chemotherapy in the same roughly three month period leading up to surgery. All right, so that's neoadjuvant bladder cancer update. Um, one thing that really caught my eye, the FDA does this apparently Friday uh, at five o'clock. Uh, they, they announced the approval um, of, yeah, it was March 4th they announced this, of neoadjuvant nivolumab with platinum doublet chemotherapy for non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, this is based off Checkmate 816, and it's the first FDA approval um, for neoadjuvant therapy for early stage non-small cell lung cancer. If you listen back to the pods or you're a dedicated listener of the pod, thank you, you've uh, heard the, the Landmarks and Oncopharm episode on JBR10, which kind of established the role for adjuvant chemotherapy in non-small cell lung cancer, with the greatest benefit for those who are stage 3A compared to stage 2 compared to 1B uh, staging for non-small cell lung cancer. Um, so neoadjuvant chemotherapy could be neoadjuvant chemo, it could be neoadjuvant chemoradiation, and appears to be best reserved for those who are 3A patients, uh, who, you're, you know, you're not confident maybe that they really are 3A with N2 disease, I, I believe that's what gets you a 3A diagnosis, um, and maybe the surgical resectability based on any number of factors. These patients are typically, you know, they have COPD, they have bad lungs, they may not be the most fit um, medically uh, for surgery. So this is looking at neoadjuvant um, chemotherapy, cisplatin-based chemotherapy, plus nivolumab, or just chemo. Now the chemo regimens they're doing are appropriate, right? So it's cispem, it's, uh, they list all these in, in the approval. So they seem to be the appropriate uh, chemotherapy regimen. What's a little bit odd is they're only doing three cycles of chemo, uh, whereas four cycles is what you see in our favorite guidelines for the neoadjuvant or adjuvant approach. I'm not certain that everybody in the study needed neoadjuvant chemo and could not have gone straight to surgery followed by adjuvant chemo. So that's something to look for in the follow-up um, publication, whenever that is, is to, to, you know, critically, you know, hasn't been peer-reviewed to see who, were these folks actually appropriately given neoadjuvant chemo or should they have had surgery first followed by uh, adjuvant chemo. As far as the surgical outcomes, those have been reported actually uh, at ASCO, the abstract's available. Um, but 83% of patients that got Nevo plus chemo went on to get definitive surgery or curative surgery. That was numerically more than those who just got chemo at 75%. So presumably there was some added effect of Nevo that allowed more folks to get surgery. Could have been other baseline differences as well. Uh, and to kind of, as, as maybe evidence that the neoadjuvant Nevo helped more patients uh, go on to surgery, the pathologic complete response rate uh, was 24% in the Nevo arm compared to 2.2% in the, the chemo arm. So certainly more efficacy from a PCR rate, more disease activity, I should say. And of course, there was a vet-free survival uh, improvement. Hazard ratio was 0.63. Anytime your hazard ratio is getting close to 0.5, you know that there's activity. Now, this is event-free survival. How, much, how many of these events were local recurrence that maybe could have been cured with post-operative radiation, which is not reported here in the, um, in the approval how many got uh, how many got post-operative radiation? Um, you know, like my, my grandmother had two lung cancers, surgically resected two different times with no adjuvant chemo radiation, things like that. So some of these recurrences could be small, could be second primaries for assuming many of these folks uh, are smokers. 
you know, generally these folks, there's, uh, you know, there's like 50-50 squamous, non-squamous, 50% were pd one positive. Those are key things to look for in the publication, the force plot is, was, were there, was there a patient population who primarily benefited from NEVO uh, up front, uh, such as the 3A patient population compared to the, the 1B and 2 patient population, which will be, which is a pre-specified analysis. They'll do, uh, about two-thirds of patients did have 3A disease. My my hunch is that those were the folks who benefited the most from this, um, as opposed to compared to those who just got platinum-based chemo. Interestingly, they do give us this in the package insert, is that at the time of this analysis, a quarter of the patients had died, and there was a trend in overall survival benefit uh, for the nivolumab arm. And that hazard ratio numerically is lower than the event-free survival ratio. That hazard ratio for event-free survival was 0.63, the hazard ratio right now, again, it's early as 0.57 for overall survival, suggesting there maybe is quite a bit of, of impact here. But we'll want to see, um, you know, and that was not statistically significant, even though the confidence interval does not cross one, just because of their, their alpha spending, presumably. I don't have the full methods uh, at this point. But things to look for when this is eventually published would be, you know, when do these, what are these events? Uh, how many of them are death, how many of them are local versus distant recurrence, like new brain mets, for example. Um, what was the post-operative uh, treatment, if any, with it in terms of radiation? Was there a fourth dose of chemo given? Doesn't, I doubt it. Uh, although that's what we would do if you just did sort of do four cycles of chemo. So the folks that, that did not get nivolumab, and even though those who did, only got three cycles of chemo, whereas four kind of would be standard which maybe makes your control arm uh, a little worse than the standard of care, which is um, a tried and true trick for certain studies funded by certain, uh, certain companies. All right, so that is Checkmate 816. Very eager to see that publication. Probably should wait on full um, uh, analysis of that uh, until we get that publication, but we kind of have to talk about it because it is FDA approved now. Uh, and by the way, that, that Nevo dose is, is the standard, uh, I think, 360 milligram dose every three weeks. Okay, uh, the last kind of update I'll talk about is a little outside of my wheelhouse. Uh, that's the approval um, uh, early this week for um, siltocatagene autolucel, uh, which brand name is Carvicti, Carvicti. Um, I don't know if we're going to call this Silcell or Siltacell, but this is the second CAR-T approval for myeloma. Uh, both The other one is Idacell, brand name uh, Abecma. Both of these uh, target B-cell maturation agent. They both have a co-stimulatory domain that's 4-1BB, the same CD, CD3 Zeta signaling domain. Um, overall response rate, qu quite a bit. There appears to be that this Silcell is more effective. So overall response rate with Silcell, 97%. Uh, dangerous cross-trial comparison versus Idacel, 72%, and almost a twice as long duration of response with Silcell compared to Idacel, despite having the same target. Um, so there must be something else uh, in the making of, of Silcell that would explain why it appears to be superior to Idacel, or there are differences in baseline demographics, and the Idacel patient population was easier to treat than the... Um, than the Idacel patient population, but uh, you know, maybe hard to, to determine that at least with what we have uh, that I can review. And maybe there's something else about it that I'm just not smart enough to see because uh, we're not a CAR-T institution. All right, well, that's what I have for you this week. Thank you for listening. Oh, I should also mention, this is um, um, a, 
you know, exactly two years ago today, almost exactly two years ago to the day, because this is conference championship week for college basketball. Uh, around this time, I was sitting um, at a, a bar of a restaurant eating lunch at Hopa uh, in Tampa before it was canceled because of the pandemic. So at least for me, this week is, is the two-year anniversary of when the pandemic really started to affect uh, my life. And it's been it's been a long 10 years in these two years that, that we've been dealing with COVID. Um, so anyway, it just you know, time goes on and sometimes you get to a point you look back and you can't believe how much time has elapsed since a certain event. And that's the, that's the case for me this week. Uh, anyway. Okay. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDNib and can follow the podcast on both Twitter and OncoFarm uh, or Twitter and Instagram. I always do that. Anyway, you know where to, you know where to find me on the socials. Um, see you next week. Oh, doses matter.